Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good evening, and thanks for joining us uh, for this Good Friday service. We're thankful that you're with us to join Crossroads uh, this evening as we reflect on our King's, our Savior's sacrifice and what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago. So the layout this evening is this. You ready? We want to reflect. We want to lean in. Uh, because I know a lot of us, we're so excited for Sunday. We're ready for that empty tomb. We're ready to celebrate. But before we get there, we have to rest and sit um, at the foot of the cross and see the, the gravity, the weight, the severity, the seriousness of our sin, your sin, my sin, and as we get ready to anticipate the empty tomb. So what I would like to do this evening is just really look at the sacrifice of our Savior afresh. And so we'll look at a couple of theological terms. I want to read Romans 3. 21 through 26 over us real quick. We will actually pause and spend most of our time in verse 26, and I'm going to unpack some theological terms, and then we'll land the plane. The Bible says this in Romans 3, as Paul is writing. In verse 21, he says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe For there is no distinction, very interesting, and he helps us understand what that distinction is. He says, well, for verse 23, for all have sinned. That word in Greek, all means all, nothing special, pas, pas upon. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, man, woman, boy, and girl, we're all in the same boat. But it says in verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation. I want you to circle that real quick. We'll come back to that term in a little while. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That works. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, him knowing sin down the corridors of history, he had passed over former sins. In other words, the sacrificial systems and And all that stuff that was temporal, now it was going to be final. The finality was coming. It's here today on Good Friday. Verse 26 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might, who is he? God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in, in Jesus. So what I would like to do is just really unpack a couple of terms. Before we start, we have to realize this, that men, man, woman, boy, and girl, when I say the word men or mankind, I'm talking about everybody inclusive, we all, we needed to be reconciled to God, not God reconciled to us. And a lot of times I think when we go through our year and we will get past Good Friday and, and even Easter Sunday, we will go and slip back to, as Martin Luther would say, we're so easily, uh, we so easily slip back to um, self-righteousness or self-works, if you will. And so what happens, we forget quite easily. Well, tonight, I hope for a fresh that we can actually look at this and this can impact and impress upon your heart something new. And I pray that maybe as a family, you will weep. I pray that we will be uh, serious about our sin and how we navigate from this point on and even giving us some gusto and some fervor as we look into into the empty tomb come, come Sunday. But this is the theme of God's redemptive narrative. 
that we needed to be reconciled, not God reconciled to us. In other words, God is the first missionary. He came to us first. He took the first step. He's the God who takes the first initiative, the holy coming to the hellish, divinity connecting with dirt. You see, I love this because God walks towards our mess. We see this in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus himself, he looked like uh, mankind. He had pectoral muscles. Jesus had toenails. He had fingernails. He had hair. He had um, follicles. He had um, calf muscles. He had all that stuff. Jesus even had bad breath. But the point is, he became flesh so that he may become our substitute. He walked towards our mess. He walked with us. He embraced us. He identified with us. His grace is a response really to man's need. We, you and I, it doesn't matter who you are again. As we looked at the text in verse 23, we were all born into sin, born under sin nature, in this sin nature, under a curse. You see, we had a great need, and it was too great for you and I to try to figure out and even try to fix. God had to come. So a couple key words, and we'll land a plane. And by the way, these words... These are words that you and I, as a believer, we ought to remember and reflect upon every single day as we walk and journey and follow Jesus. But specifically today on Good Friday, tonight, I want us to really lean into these terms. You ready? Depravity. And it's a scary word. I know it's, it's a word that's kind of thrown around in, in theological realms and, and, and just really in the, the laboratory of study, academia, but really it means this. Depravity is this. We are as bad off as we can be apart from Jesus. Now, we're thankful, again, this sacrifice, you have to see this. If it had not been for Jesus, you and I, we are as bad off as we can be. There's a difference between being as bad as you can be and being as bad off as you can be. You see, because had it not been for this sacrifice, Good Friday, which it seems like it's really a bad Friday, but it's good in the sense that Jesus, he died in your place and my place. He willfully and willingly died for you and I. But it means this, that had it not been for this, you and I would be destined to a place called hell, separated from him. So that's depravity. Grace, unmerited favor. We might define grace as the intrinsic quality of God's being or essence within himself by which he is spontaneously favorable in his disposition and actions towards you and I. Grace is when God gives us, you and I, doesn't matter, man, woman, boy, and girl. I don't want to make sure everybody understands that this is for you. So you may say, Marcus, this is great for so-and-so. I can see the redemptive picture and narrative in their life. I want to encourage you this evening. You may be sitting under the sound of my voice and going, man, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if um, this sacrifice or his sacrifice is sufficient for me. I want to encourage you this evening that Jesus died for you. As a matter of fact, on Golgotha's Hill 2,000 years ago, if you were the only person on the face of the earth, he would have died for you, yes, even, even you. And that's grace. Grace is when God gives us what we, we don't deserve. He lavishes it upon us. But mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve hell, but he gives us his mercy. Propitiation. Paul talks about this in verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be justified or be just and the justifier at the same time. And he put him forth as a propitiation for our sins. So what is propitiation? It's a big word. I can't say it over and over again. Uh, I begin to stutter. It's kind of a, it's a loaded term. It means this. The word propitiation means appeasement satisfaction. I want to go slow so you catch this, specifically towards God. How do we appease a holy God? 
How do we satisfy a holy God? You and I, we can't read enough self-help books. We can't pull ourselves up from our own bootstraps. We can't work at this. We can't present ourselves holy before a holy and righteous eternal God. We can't do that. So it had to be on God's timetable via his son dying and him dying in our place. So propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of God, this holy demand for the payment of sin, but also the offended person and being reconciled at the same time. So appeasement and reconciliation takes place at the same time. The act of propitiation always refers to the work of God and not the sacrifices or gifts that you and I try to present to a holy God. So there are no service. There's no sacrifice or gift that mankind, man, woman, boy, girl, can offer that will appease or satisfy the holy wrath of God or satisfy his perfect justice. The only satisfaction or propitiation that could be acceptable to the Holy One of Israel, to the Holy God, the Creator, and that can reconcile you and I. Reconciliation is basically this. It's restoring a relationship that once was. The relationship that once was perfect in the garden, really one chapter, and then in chapter three, the fall happens. We understand, we know this story, but restoring, if you will, this grand picture, reconciling us back to, back to God. But what happens, we reconcile man back to him. Uh, he reconciled us back to himself for this reason. God, the Father, sends his son, Jesus Christ, the unique one, the holy one, the only one to be our substitutionary atonement. That's our next term. It basically means this, substitutionary. You see the prefix of that term is substitute, and that means that Jesus really, the gospel can be explained like this, Jesus in my place. That's it. Say it with me, Jesus in my place. Jesus died in your place. It should have been me being whipped with a cat of nine tails. It should have been me. Uh, being laughed at and spit upon and, and mocked and flogged. It should have been me. It should have been, it should have been you. Think of this. This is the weight of this reality of Good Friday. But in essence, what happened, God says, no, I want to send my son. I'm going to send literally myself so that they don't have to go through this. That's grace. Substitute. But atonement, it basically means to cover. Just to cover. To cover your sin and my sin. He atoned for, he covered your sin and my sin by his blood. You see this as we do biblical theology, just real quick, come go with me. You see in the garden that there was sacrifice for one individual. When God sacrificed an animal in the garden for Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. They tried to atone for their own sins. And y'all know when we try to cover stuff, it just doesn't work. And so they try to use the itchiest leaf there is to cover themselves in an apron. And so they try to cover the front, but the back was exposed. That's what you and I, when we do stuff, we don't do it completely. I'm thankful that we serve a God as we look at Good Friday, that he does everything well. As a matter of fact, he completes what he starts. And Paul would even say this in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So even in the garden, we see the substitute or the atonement for one individual. The day of atonement, we see it for the whole household. When the death angel was to come, they were to put a blood from a sacrificed animal on the doorposts of their homes. And when the death angel came, it would overpass or bypass that home and for the whole household. So the garden, we see the individual for the household. And day of atonement, we see the household. Yom Kippur was a day of atonement for uh, the Jewish custom. Once a year, the priest would go in to the Holy of Holies and, and sacrifice on behalf of the whole nation. 
And this is crazy because they had to do this once a year. So just think of this real quick. This is why this sacrifice that we're getting ready to really celebrate and reflect upon this evening is so monumental and, and just phenomenal in this regard. Had the people, had the priests go in and sacrifice on their behalf, and then the, the sacrifice was accepted by the Lord, and then they leave that ceremony, the Day of Atonement, and they just say, this guy got sideways with his wife and just had uh, anger in his heart. He had to wait a whole year for that to be appeased for or atoned for again. So we see Yom Kippur for the whole nation. And I remember just reading the New Testament when John the Baptist was baptizing, and he looked upon the horizon, and he saw uh, this, this individual coming, and he says, Oh, behold, um, Jesus who takes away the sins of the, the world. So we see in the garden, the individual. We see in, uh, the, in, in the Day of Atonement for the household. We see for the Day of Atonement. We see for the nation. And then we see for the entire, for the entire world. Now, justification. Justification is this. Jesus declares, he literally declares you and I righteous. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. In other words, you can say it like this. When we are considered justified, it's just as if we haven't sinned or never sinned. I know it's hard to wrap your mind around because you know your dirt as much as I know my dirt, um, but just... That's the beauty and, the, and the, the, the power of the sacrifice of Jesus himself. So therefore, what do we do now? Paul says that he put him forth as a propitiation for your sin and my sin as a sacrifice to appease and satisfy God's holy wrath for you and I when it comes to our sin. We couldn't do it. Jesus had to do it for us. So it means that he's just and justifier. So how is that the case? Well, it's like one coin with two sides. Let's look at the first side, just. The just nature and character of God. It means this, that he is, and he's not going to compromise this. He's not, he has been this um, for eternity, and he always will. As a matter of fact, he lives in the eternal now. So it, even right now, he is the righteous judge, even beforehand. He's the righteous judge. He's holy. He's good. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's love. He's faithful. He's perfect. He's eternal. I prefaced a little while ago about he's unchanging. In other words, there's a great theological term. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He's not shifty like shadows like you and I are. He never changes. I know in the situation we're living in, the culture, there's so much uncertainty, so much fear, so much unsettledness. But one thing we can be settled upon and rest upon is the character and the unchanging nature of our King and our Lord. And his name is, his name is Jesus. He's creator. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's a defender. He's your defender. He fights for you. He's the lifter of our heads. He is Elohim. He is the almighty God. So that's one side of the token. And that's just a small list of his characteristics. The other side is the fact that he's a justifier. So he's just, he's not going to compromise his standard here, right? He's not going to compromise. We miss his standard in verse 23, for all fall short of the glory of God. What that means is we all miss the mark. As soon as we come out of the womb of our parents, it's, we miss the mark. We, we try to hit the mark of God's righteous standard, but we always miss the target. But Jesus is the target for us. I like to say this quite often, that when um, we were in the garden, matter of fact, you and I, had we been in the garden, we would have fumbled the ball too. I hear people say, man, when I get to heaven, uh, I just can't wait to talk to Adam and Eve about why did they do that? Why did they do that? Um, why, did they take the, why did they take the fruit? We don't know what type of fruit it was. We assume it's an apple, but I want to say this. Had it been you and I, we probably wouldn't have cut down the, or we probably wouldn't have just taken the, the actual fruit. We would have cut down the whole tree. 
So you and I, what happens in the garden, Jesus hits the scene of humanity. We fumble the ball of God's perfection and standard. Jesus hits the scene. He picks the ball up for you and I, and he scores via the cross. So therefore, who's ever on his team, they win. So here it is. On the other side, he's justifier. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's just, but he's a justifier. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's not distant and saying, go figure it out by yourselves. Read books. Um, try to clean yourself up. No, again, remember, he walks towards your mess and my mess. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He was born to die. He's the perfect lamb. He's our substitute. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's our sin bearer, your sin bearer. All of your sin, past, present, and future. The ones you hadn't committed, even when we get offline and, and then you go back into doing what you do, even the things that you, you're pondering even now, right now. He knows you intricately and he died for those sins as well. He became sin who knew no sin so that you and I, as I prefaced earlier, may become the righteousness of God. He paid for your sin debt and my sin debt. So on our account, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, across the written across that deal or just smeared across your account is all these different deals that you and I have done. But guess what? It's just smeared in red, finished. It's paid in full. That's a hallelujah moment right there. But he's also the Savior. He's the Messiah. And he is Lord. He erased your sin. So he appeased and satisfied. Isaiah the prophet would say this in Isaiah 53, that he, Jesus, centuries before the crucifixion would take place, said this, he was pierced for our transgressions, for your transgressions, my transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace was upon him. But then it goes on to say this, and yet it was the will of the Father or the Lord to crush him. You see this? This was God's plan. We didn't know what to do. God had it figured out. So let me ask you this question. What are you worried about? Because whatever you're worried about, God has already figured out. And he figured it out based on and through the gospel. So this night, come go with me as we land the plane. We see Jesus being wrongly accused. They've laid down the palm branches. Even that would have been us in, the, in, the, in, the, in that scene, in that setting going, yeah, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The Lord is here, blah, 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 blah. And we turn the page and then we're the ones saying, crucify him, crucify him. Just that quick, we're fickle. And now we see him, they're putting a robe, a purple robe on him and, and they're beating him and exposing his back and they, they put on his head this crown of thorns, thorns about as big as his pen, if you will, pressing down into the, the head and the dome of our king and our savior. And what happens? They march him up the Via Della Rosa, which is known as the road of suffering and people are on both sides of him and they're spitting. It's, it's high afternoon, it's hot, he's tired, he's fatigued from the beating and the flogging and he's, he's getting ready to die for your sin and my sin. Do you see him? This is the master. They're kicking him and they're mocking him. He falls and they're telling him to bear his cross, which is your and I, I cross. It's really our cross he's bearing. Somebody else takes the cross for him and they put him there and they nail his hands to the cross, they nail his feet. He dies. Y'all know the rest of the story. They're pierced his side, which is a custom. Normally, they would actually break the leg to see if the criminals were dead, but they foresaw that Jesus was dead, and they said, let's do something different. Let's just pierce his side, puncturing his lungs and, and even his heart. But here we see that him being crucified for you and I, we can see through his pain, his suffering, and even his death that truly he is both just and the justifier. So on this day, he will complete prophecy. He will say a couple things and, you know, two thieves on either side. 
And then finally he'll say, it is finished. And he'll drop his head in the locks of his shoulders. And then everything changed. The ground began to quake. Skies turned dim. Heaven went into mourning. Earth went into confusion. And hell began to rejoice. And this is the beautiful exchange. Really it is, saints. So I just want to encourage you and I, as you think about this particular story, it's not just a story, it's reality. And Paul even says that this is the truth by which you and I can be reconciled, restored back to, and made right with the holy God. So I'm excited for obviously Sunday, but I want us to reflect a little bit. As a family, as an individual, watch party, I don't know what you're doing, but just take a moment. Maybe pull out a sheet of paper. Maybe you're journaling. Maybe you're already taking notes. And just write down the things that you're truly thankful for in regards to Jesus dying in your place. Jesus in my place. Write those down. Reflect on them. Pray over them. Give thanks to the Lord. That's rightfully his in the first place. And then we will sit in this just for a little bit, but we know the rest of the story. And I don't want to steal too much thunder. So I want to pray for us. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for dying in our place, paying our sin, debt, and penalty. Thank you, Lord, that you took our place. And because of your sacrifice and your shed blood, that was enough. So we don't have to try to work. We don't have to try to fix ourselves. We don't have to try to produce and perform or even pretend. Everything was accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this evening, Lord, as we, we've heard your word, we've looked at some theological terms, we've looked at scripture, help us again. Burst our hearts with gratitude. Explode our hearts and our soul with thankfulness for the sacrifice you accomplished, you accomplished 2,000 years ago, but still have present results today. And Lord, we anticipate Sunday, but we really can't relish and celebrate the empty tomb until we sit at the foot of the cross. And for that, we say thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.